Welcome to the world of Rex. I am Marvel A. Rex, and this is my world. It is also your world. In this podcast, we will discuss any and every topic imaginable, from socioeconomic political theory and philosophy to gender clowning to the occult sciences, y'all. It's going to be a wild ride. Strap in. Marvel A Rex. Well, I am a true Renaissance person. I do a little bit of everything. I am an artist, first and foremost, an actor, a writer, director, producer, philosopher, and yes, a cult practitioner. I am an astrologer of over 15 years. I am a student of the I Ching, and I am experimenting with my human design. And on that note, I deeply hope you enjoy this podcast. Welcome to the world of Rex. Welcome everybody, it is Marvel A Rex, we are here on the world of Rex. It is the week of June 27th to July 3rd. Wow, we are cruising through the year. It's a new month almost. Now I'm going to just give a disclaimer at the top of the show. The energies for June 27th to July 3rd are definitely some crunchy, bumpy territory. Now, the interesting thing about looking at these kinds of energies in general, and one of the core tenements of evolutionary astrology, is that even when you see, like, let's say, rain ahead, you know, stormy skies ahead, you, by applying consciousness beforehand, you're sort of bending time, and even potentially bending manifestation, how things manifest, by just knowing, okay, there may be some things happening, but I'm going to mentally prepare myself for them. Not necessarily call them in. There's a difference. It's not about worrying that these things are going to happen. It's just like, oh, you know, there will likely be opportunity for me to grow. What a pleasure that I get to grow, that I get to be challenged. <laughs> it's the best way to deal with it. And, you know, if you're ready, you can also be like, I'm not going to like react as hard now because I know that this is going to come. When you're surprised by something, you react much more intensely because you're not expecting it to happen. But if you're like, oh, okay, there's probably going to be some crunchy territory surrounding these themes, then, you know, you're a little bit more prepared. So that's the week of June 27th. It is work. I, I titled it Yikes slash work, work, work. So there's a lot of support energetically in a challenging way. So you're like, what do you mean support in a challenging way? Well, there's a lot of support in a challenging way on karmic work that needs to be done right now. The support in a challenging way is like opportunities will come up that may feel uncomfortable to you or people close to you. This is there's a lot of emphasis on family here about people you're related to or chosen family, people that you're close to and intimate with, which, you know, raises the stakes immediately. The stakes are raised immediately because there's a lot of emotion compacted into those relationships. Therefore, the feelings are full. Okay, full feelings. So the stakes are high, but there are opportunities to do some karmic work this week, big time. There is a huge, huge, huge energy that comes right around June 30th, which is Thursday, that is going to, for a lot of people, present a very clear, obvious opportunity to be chill or grow. Be chill, grow, or, you know, you could, if you're really 
not listening to this podcast, thrown off guard, you could definitely feel a sense of regression, fear, um, gaslighting, internal gaslighting. I mean, this energy is really strong. So we're going to get to that. The first thing to know about the week is that moments will appear. They will manifest on the physical plane that allow you to change the way you've normally approached things. They will give you opportunities to change in hopefully an evolutionary or enlightened way that helps you like literally put karma to rest or to transform karma. What did I say about karma a couple weeks ago? It's about understanding that, you know, we make mistakes. People in our lives make mistakes. Every single human is messy and beautiful. And because we know that there are things that, you know, you can work through when you are given the opportunity to again and transform sort of the energetic signature of whatever you did in the past that wasn't great. You know, for example, let's say you've been in relationships over and over again and they end the same way and it's always the same kind of deal. You're asking yourself at some point, why, well, why do I keep doing that? Well, there's some karma that needs to be worked out and sometimes in a very quantum way, and I'm not, I hopefully don't lose too many people here. Sometimes you can clear the karma around your relationships by shifting something outside of romantic relationships by literally like cleaning up something somewhere else. I mean, this is very real. Everything is deeply, deeply interconnected and enmeshed. So sometimes it's about being like, oh, I'm not going to do this behavior anymore. And then there's always an interesting, odd, circuitous way that it can resolve some relationship karma. Now, that doesn't always happen. And it's not something to like count on and be like, well, I stopped eating bread. So my relationships are all just going to magically line up. It's like, no, that's it's not that simple. But it's more like, how can I practice in this realm? to be a kinder, more peaceful, more honest human being, acknowledging things that I've done in the past and see the magic that it works in many areas of your life because you're sort of like untangling a fixed part of your energy that is constantly bumping into all sorts of things. The moment you unwind that energy, it creates a lot of lubrication in all areas of life. So there's lots of opportunities this week to come head to head with that, all those things that you're like, oh, I know I got to work on that. Oh, I got to work. There's just a major emphasis on doing some work this week. It really has to do with deeper emotions, uh, inherited emotions, epigenetic stuff, which we're going to talk about. And my biggest piece of advice this week is to be mindful of how you are choosing to engage with family, chosen family or otherwise. Okay. There's just big archetypal energy around mothers, mother figures, women, divine feminine, childhood, and family. Again, this is what I said last week. It's coming in even more ramped up this week. And there's the big uh-oh moment on June 30th, Thursday, which is Mars squaring Pluto and the moon, which means that Pluto is opposing the moon. Now, this is a very uncomfortable place for La Luna, and it's cancer season, which means that the sun in cancer is answering to the moon in cancer right? Now, normally that's right. That's a new moon. So this is like the new moon is just really, oh, wow. What a, what a, like an intense new beginning. So this is why this war, this week to me is one of the most important weeks of the early summer. Really, this is such an important week to apply consciousness to because you have two malefics, Mars and Pluto, applying an immense amount of pressure to the moon, who is the ruler of the new moon. That's not always the case. Okay, every new every new moon has a different ruling planet and a ruling planet is essentially just the planet that is the last person. It's like the 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 general of the army. It's the last person that everyone like the final person that everyone goes to. It's like, okay, 
you know, everyone deals with their problems, but then who's the big boss of the moment? And the big boss of the moment is the moon, but she's getting majorly pressured by two pretty bad boy planets. Mars and Pluto are like, <laughs> as Madison Renee Knapp said about Mars, Mars is like a shitty frat boy. And he often is. And... <laughs> I also saw a meme the other day that was like, the planets, it was a book, it's like a children's book, like the planets want to get to know you. And there was a meme that's like, Mars does not want to get to know you. And it's a picture of the cover of the book and all the planets are smiling except Mars. Mars is like staring at this, in this kid's book, is staring at the kids like, I don't want to do this. Someone made me be on this cover. I hate every single one of you. Like that's, that's the vibe. So Mars is a bad boy, frat boy, drunk, frat boy planet, lacrosse player. And Pluto is like the dawn of the mafia, like really gnarly, like not necessarily the biggest guy, but packs the biggest punch and is like ruthless, can be ruthless. At the end of the day is here to completely transform you and make you like a you know butterfly effect and phoenix effect, like just change everything, you know, hopefully for the better at the end of the day, but the process feels pretty, pretty gnarly. So the moon, this new moon, this moment, this week, like it is packed with new beginnings, which is exciting in a very powerful lunar cycle because when the moon is in cancer it's like a super rebirth and it's a rebirth on a collective level as well it is as we all know leading into july 4th and the u.s which is going through its pluto return is a cancer july 4th right 1776 so this is a big country moment for the u.s big week for the u.s i'm gonna be looking at the news because i'm just like can't even Don't even know yet what that's going to manifest on the collective level as, but I'm sure it'll be um, exciting. I'll say that. And for us as individuals, this is a new beginning that has a lot to do with the historical being hysterical. What do I mean by that? Looking at our family lineage, looking at our epigenetic trauma, looking at our relationship to our chosen and biological families, doing an assessment and seeing, okay, what are all these things? Do I have healthy relationships with my family members? Do I not? What is the depth of that? Pluto and Mars are coming in and drop kicking it. They're drop kicking this process. They're like, you got to do something. Squares are action oriented. So when I say square, anytime you hear me say the word square, planet, square, planet, it's always two archetypal energies action orienting each other, like pushing each other to move, to, to change. So what does that do for us internally since we're made of stardust and we're affected by the tides and the planets moving above? That propels us to take action. It propels other people to take action. Now, when there is no consciousness applied to that action, you see the total shadow manifestation of these planets, right? The total shadow manifestation of Pluto and Mars is violence. Always, 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 always. Now, Pluto tends to be a little bit more of like a psychological violence and Mars tends to be more physical. The shadow vibration of the moon is just victim mentality. So those are the shadow vibrations of what is available this week. But then the, the best opportunity we have here, the, like the purest or the, the most aligned opportunity that we have this week is to see things that are challenging that have to do with power control in relationship to our family dynamics, in relationship to how we were raised, who we relate to, and be like, okay, I see all the things that are crunchy. I see all the things that are hard. They are presenting themselves to me right now in real time. And I'm going to choose how do, how do I compassionately and profoundly love this person and try something new? That's the action-oriented quality here. Because Mars is in Aries, Aries is like, try something new. Mars is action, Aries is new, try something new. Try something out of the box. Try, you know, at this time, uh, 
Uranus is going to be super, super activated, who's the planet of surprise. So there's definitely an opportunity to be surprised by a different route of action in regards to loving your past, your history, your family, things that like haunt you. The historical is hysterical. What I mean by that, I didn't explain what it was earlier, but the historical that's hysterical, hysterical is the historical that is hysterical is when we don't deal with our past. And then we get, we have like a trigger and we get really thrown and everyone's been there. Everyone's had a panic attack or a moment of just feeling so overwhelmed because there is a pain locked in their body that has not been dealt with yet. And so it feels a million times bigger than the current situation that's happening in real time. So when something happens that really triggers you, if, if something happens this week that really triggers you, it's just good to take note and be like, okay, that's hysterical. I got hysterical and now I get to understand it better so that it's not, I'm not carrying it around for the rest of my life. I can train, you can transform this energy. I mean, where we have neuroplasticity for a reason, it is a blessing. So overall, Mars square Pluto means power struggles and confrontations. This is because of an intense desire to gain control over others or of situations, right? And especially with family members, it's like you get triggered and you're like, I just want to find some like degree of control here. You know, there's there's uh, an, even an advantageous quality here where it's like, oh, I, I get an opportunity to one up somebody like that's really the temptation here to be like, I'm right and I'm going to steamroll you. Even if you choose to play it safe this week and, and not steamroll somebody, you're going to potentially have to deal with other people trying to dominate you or challenge your ego or position. Right. This may not be exclusive towards family, but it definitely because the moon is in cancer and cancer rules family is very likely that's going to have to do with family stuff. But even with a lot of my clients who are having issues at work with like um, bosses or, or people in authority, I am always like, well, what's your relationship? I get very Freudian about it, but especially with the sun and cancer right now, it's good to get Freudian and be like, well, what's your relationship to authority figures growing up? What was your relationship to your parents? Like these are good or siblings. Even these are good indicators of where you have an opportunity to grow this week. Even if you're having an issue that's less directly family oriented there is still some sort of tie down to the family here very present this week and for the next couple of weeks so there's always an answer to the formation that we have in the sky this week we have a t-square between mars pluto and the moon right the moon is definitely outnumbered here she is not stoked to be hanging out with these guys but there's an answer there's always an answer to a t-square the answer is where the t-square lands where the energy shoots out to now this shoots out to libra for those of you who don't know the energy of Libra, I'll just give a few quick points. It is a balance-seeking planet. And I spoke about balance last week, and here she comes again. Here's the theme of balance coming in. Diplomacy, kindness, charisma, you know, wanting to see everyone's angle, everyone's side, being open to conflicting viewpoints, holding all of those viewpoints. So where Aries, which is where Mars is right now, is about all about like, I began something and it's mine and I'm doing it. Like, here I go. Libra's like, well, what about us? What about both sides? Yes, there's the new thing, but what about the old thing? What about the thing that's uh, neither old nor young? You know, there's Libra throws up a lot more options. And the reason there's tension between Libra and Aries is that Aries is ready to move forward and just go at all costs in a single direction, in a new direction. And Libra's like, look, we have to make room for relationships. Relationships are important to get anything done. So there's the tension there, is that Aries wants to move. Libra's like, yo, we got to stop for a moment. So the theme or the medicine or the like key to unlock the tense, crazy door this week, the like tense, 
potentially uh, volatile door this week, the key to opening that door is in the energy and archetype of Libra. Diplomacy, you know, really looking to find peace, but not peace to the point where you're not saying what you mean. It's about being balanced by being like, this is how I feel. I want to hear you. May I hear you? You know, really creating an open space. And on that note, because this is because this is the medicine, I was like, oh, what is the medicine of this week in Libra? Libra is about two people. It's also a sign that's ruled or is made of air. It's an air sign. And air signs are all about talking. There's always a vocalization and a social aspect to air signs. And so I was like nonviolent communication. Like the answer to this week is literally like doubling down on nonviolent communication with close family members, chosen or otherwise. So the first process, I'm just going to run through the process of nonviolent communication as a primer or a refresh for some people just to be like, look, this is this is the, the best thing you can do this week is practice nonviolent communication. So you observe what's happening. And again, with Mars and Pluto in the mix, things can manifest that feel really challenging. Observe it as it's happening. And then you recap what's happening. You don't say that you did. You're never, you're not using you words. You're not saying you did this thing. You're saying, I watched this happen. I saw this. I heard you say this. It's, I heard you say versus you just said is much more efficient saying, I heard you say, you know, you're not blaming and you try to do it without a lot of emotional input. So you don't be like, well, you did this shitty thing. You're like, I heard you say this, you know, did you say that? What do you mean by that? Because I don't think I understand it, right? So you talk feelings, not issues. Like if you're trying to make yourself heard, clearly describe your own emotions rather than any like whether they're right or wrong or ethics or morals or like policy positions. It's like, especially if if it is about politics, et cetera, it's not so much about like applying any form of judgment, but just being like, this is how I feel given what you're saying. Or I need to understand better what you're saying because it's making me feel this way. The next thing you do is you identify needs. So all of nonviolent communication is about, you know, we're violence coming about because of unmet needs. Okay. And we need to get our needs met to feel content, to feel trust, to feel like we can develop deeper relationships with people. Intimacy. You need to feel like your needs are getting met in a relationship to want to get closer to the person. That's the whole vibe. Now, this is harder with family because we didn't necessarily choose them on the ego level although i do argue that we choose our family members on a soul level but we don't need to go down that rabbit hole right now regardless with family members it's harder because you're like oftentimes your ego is like look i didn't sign up for this but i'm somehow stuck with it well you did sign up for it i'll just say that and because you signed up for it the medicine and the power here is to be like okay this person's this person's acting violently or acting in a way that i'm perceiving as violent they probably have an unmet need or several unmet needs. I can develop curiosity about what those unmet needs are. And I also need to vocalize what my unmet needs are in relationship to this person. And, you know, you can't force anyone to hear you. It takes a lot of time, but there is a magic in working to create more space rather than shutting down another person because you're scared or because you don't know quite how to handle the situation. This is like Jedi toolkit number one, like nonviolent communication is really, really powerful and it works in, in every area of your life, every single one. So at, in the final 
thing to do after you've like understood what the unmet needs are. If the other person's not being very clear about the unmet needs, it's like, okay, that person might need more time to figure it out. And you can even say that. Like, sounds like you need more time to figure out what you need. All good. I'm totally here to hear it. And then the fourth thing you do is you make a request. So, you know, at a certain point without like really spending hours and hours trying to figure out what's going on, if it takes that long, it's like there's there there needs to be time spent apart to figure it out. But after a certain point in the conversation, it's time to ask for concrete actions that would help both parties satisfy their needs. This is all very Libra. Libra is very concerned with like, how do we find balance in a relationship? Typically, these requests like arise organically because people are like, look, I feel this way. This is what I need. You know, they figure it out pretty quickly. Like I need this. But people come up with ideas that they would literally never have thought of when they were in the mode of anger or feeling unheard. So when people are, when their nervous system is like just lit up in anger or feeling like rejected or feeling like attacked, your brain actually, because that it gets lit up in that way, it's not actually like firing in a super efficient way to have like prescient or clear thoughts. So when you can both de-escalate and start to be calm in a situation that feels like it could go in the other direction, the clarity that comes is like miraculous. You're like, oh, oh, okay, I understand where you're coming from. Like, I understand what you need. And the other person themselves might be like, oh, I didn't even know that's what I needed, but I'm calm enough to, to figure it out. You know, the space has been provided for me to figure it out. This is like the beauty of cancer. That's why cancers make such excellent therapists because they know how to create, just intuitively, generally know how to create space so that people can talk about what they need. There's such a major emphasis on understanding there has to be a moment of understanding between the two parties. That's like the really key part of this process. And if there isn't, then you take a break to be like, okay, we haven't figured it out, but we'll come back and we'll find a cord that connects us again. There's a, um, a, a useful analogy that one of the nonviolent communication folks talks about who's, um, works with, who has worked with Rosenberg said, you know, two glasses of water being poured into each other and overflowing. That's what happens when two people speak without acknowledging what's driving the other person. So two people are both pouring water into each other, expecting the other person to hold all this, but when they're both full, neither of them have been acknowledged. Neither of them have felt heard. So it's just like overflow, overflow. Blah, 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 blah. We're talking to people and we're trying to fill them up with our ideas and they don't have space. He's, and, and, and they go on, in Rosenberg's words, I wouldn't expect someone who's been injured to hear my side of the story until they feel that I had fully understood the depth of their pain. So these four steps are here to help you understand where the other person's coming from and then trust that in that process, you can then ask for them to understand your side and they will be a lot more open to it if they have felt understood and heard on their side. That is the medicine of the week. It is all about de-escalation. It's all about knowing that there could be challenges this week that are actually miracles in disguise. Pluto is always, he is always a blessing in disguise, but he comes in as like a very, very scary monster a lot of the time. People are very archetypally afraid of Pluto. It makes sense. He is historically Hades, ruler of the underworld. People don't like to go down there except for Mercury. So, you know, we as humans are like, I don't really want to go and feel that. That feels scary to feel. But there's an amazing opportunity this week to feel, okay, what is it like if I face my fears and maintain a certain level of calmness as I use a structured mode of communicating to try to understand another person better who's manifesting in a way that is a little bit 
bit perturbing to me or a lot perturbing to me. So relationships, family are at the core of this week. It could be with a boss or a work person, but it's also potentially tied to early family dynamics, early childhood dynamics. Be your parent this week and understand that you might have to apply extra compassion towards other people this week and eat outside of your comfort zone even. It doesn't mean that you're a doormat. It means that you're saying, okay, you know, you'll be extra patient because not everyone knows about nonviolent communication. A lot of people don't practice it. I often slip up with it when I'm upset. So it's about slowing the process down and using I statements and trying to understand what the other person needs and then being able to vocalize what you need and then going from there, creating that bridge with the other person. That is the medicine. I am now going to introduce you all to a guest. I'm very excited to have Allie Ruth on the show. She has had so many journeys. I am so excited to tap into just a few of them with her. This episode, we'll probably have more episodes with her, but we're going to talk about all sorts of exciting stuff. Stay tuned. All right, everybody. We are here with Al Schulte, my special guest for this episode. So Al sent me a wonderful long list of descriptors. I'm going to read a few for the audience here before we dive into her story. I love that the first thing he said was queer, cisgender, female. Amazing. A Cal Arts MFA. Shout out to Cal Arts. A library school dropout. A retired international fetish and bondage model. An occasional clumsy pro-dom. And let's see, a certified Pilates teacher. Multiple certifications in pelvic health and gender affirming care. Licensed esthetician, licensed physical therapist assistant, domestic violence and sexual assault survivor, psychonaut, ASMR sensitive, you know, belly dancer since 1997. There are a for sure valley girl. There are so many things that describe you. I love that even in the pre-show chat, you were like, I have lived so many lives. So this is just a list of those lives. Where are you now? Say hi to the audience. I'm so excited to have you, Al. How you doing? Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Um, and thanks for the great introduction. I am currently culminating all of these things, all of these lives I've lived, all of these experiences I've had, good and bad. And um, I don't know, everything's kind of st starting to come together and make sense to me now. Um, what I'm mostly focused on is pelvic health. Um, and it's been interesting how some of those histories have actually tied into um, that this practice. So working as a dominatrix, um, even belly dance, understanding the mechanics of the body and the hips and breathing. Um, and um, even my artistic background. Uh, yeah, so I would say right now I identify most as a pelvic health expert and an activist for um, LGBT. QAI plus and other um, people to have more ex access to pelvic health, including also BIPOC, um, neurodivergent. So people who, um, I think in general, most people don't even realize that they have a right to request pelvic health physical therapy or how much can be done for them. But especially there's populations who um, veer away from the healthcare system in general. So I want, I'm trying to double down and take care of those folks. Yes. Oh, amazing. I love that overview. We will dive deeper into this because I'm, I have more questions, follow-up questions about pelvic right. health, et cetera, because it's so important. I do want to give a little shout out that you are, I believe, a Virgo rising and a Taurus sun. So for all you who are in the know, Virgo rules health, 
physical wellness, mental health. And then we've got this Taurus, which is like love of the body. So you're bringing it here. <laughs> you're living your archetypes. <laughs> I feel it. I feel it. This is the most I've felt um, at peace and just a hundred percent confident that I'm doing what I meant to do here on this earth. It, it took a while. It's been a long journey. Um, I read recently something about pe- folks who take a zigzag, like the more you zigzag towards your actual career, the the more longevity and happiness you have. So I used to get hard on myself for not totally following through with, you know, the traditional trajectory of like what you're supposed to do after a MFA from CalArts or what you're supposed to do after library school. It, it was always like, this is, this is close, but it's not quite it. Like I always had mm. that feeling. And this is the first time I'm like, oh, this is, this is it. Yeah. Oh, I love that. The zigzagging. I mean, it makes sense. Like you're trying so many different things and it, it often that resistance or when you hit a block or you're like, oh, this isn't quite it, that helps refine. That's a way to refine. Okay. This is the path. I love that you feel clear too. That's like uh, something to be congrats. Congratulations. Thank that's you. a, that's a thing to feel good about. So my first question for you in terms of just your overall journey who you are where do you come from like uh how would if if an alien landed on the planet and was like al tell me about yourself like what is the journey you know in a concise way because i know you've again jack of all trades here but like where do you come from and where are you now uh, yeah that is really hard that's what i was worried about how do i explain all of this um i think i've always been an activist Uh, I started, I got involved with activism at the age of 11 when, um, our class adopted a humpback whale and (laughs) I ended up on the mailing list for like Greenpeace and then PETA and then all these organizations. And I became a hardcore militant, very annoying little vegetarian. And I remember like sitting at my cherry wood desk with my horse stationary, writing letters to cosmetic companies that tested on animals. I was intense. Um, So, and I have a lot of stories about, you know, those kind of things. And then I think that led me to get into punk rock and um, anarcho-political punk rock culture. And so I spent a lot of time in that. And this is mostly in the Valley, like Los Angeles area, Southern California or all over? Um, I was pretty, and I grew up in the Valley-ish. Like I've been in California since I was six. Um, So I've always been in the Valley or suburbs of the Valley. Um, The punk scene I was really drawn to was like East Bay hardcore. And so I spent a lot of time in Oakland in the late nineties and early aughts. Um, I was kind of living in and out of that area, punk houses and places like that. So, um, and I think that's what like, uh, that was a hard skin to shed for me because it was a very, um, that uh, scene was very misanthropic and, very dark. And I was just looking at some of the band names. I still love these bands, but it's like misery, dystopia, filth, like all these like discharge, uh, um, man is the bastard, like the bands I listened to. And, uh, it was kind of hard. It like, wasn't very cool to like identify as a healer or to be like the worst thing you could be was like a hippie. So the overriding like Gen X malaise. It yeah, feels that way of like Nirvana level, like, <laughs> like shit's bad. The institution's bad. Anyway, yes. Continue. Yeah, yeah. So and it, yeah, so it was hard to to embrace that side of myself. But I've had a number of very like uncanny experiences in my life where it's just been like told where I've had strangers or other healers come up to me or 
experiences. And I just, um, yeah, I'm not pushing that away anymore. So I think, and I think I'm an artist, but not in the traditional sense. Um, I basically spent 60 grand at CalArts to learn that I didn't want to be any part of the gallery system or really like, I, I didn't make art or think about art for a while. I actually just went back belly dances art, but different kind of art practice. So um, I think, uh, but I'm very, very creative and very resourceful. And I'm definitely an excellent hustler because I've had to be to survive, but I also get a big rush out of it. Um, that's why I've, I've loved and had a lot of success with like grant right, get, getting grants and scholarships and things like that. It's like almost like a drug to me to like <laughs> really um, get deep, like get into, that's where I get into my like flow state is when mm. I'm applying for, and um, so yeah. And I'm also a like direct hands-on healer. I went the medical route first with uh, doing the physical therapy assistant license. And so I have that under me and now I just want to study like chakras and Reiki and yeah, trauma, trauma-informed care and all of those things. But I, I, I needed that under my belt to feel secure that, that like Western medical license. And then now I'm like ready to like branch out into all the woo-woo and uh, holistic stuff. So yeah. When I look at the list of everything you sent me, and I really read just for the audience, like I only read like a third of that list you sent me there of all the things you've done and all the things, and we will talk a little bit more about a few of those things. But when I look at it, I'm like, oh, you are an outlier in the sense that there's such a, you have done so many different things that are all talking to each other. And the way that like, quote unquote, capitalism and late capitalism works is like all this the fields are often not synthesized like science is not talking to uh athletics is not talking to i mean there's just like yes spirituality is not talking to science it's like we have these things that are so disparate and when i look at your work i'm like oh you're you have embodied and like been in so many different diverse parts of the of of existence in the world in community really different communities like i'm looking at your work at like the Thomas finland foundation the alfred kinsey institute leather archives of, and museum in chicago like these are all obviously like queer snm spaces but there's there's art within those spaces there's understanding like trauma through snm and etc like i just look at you and i'm like okay yes you you obviously were not able to fit into a siloed institution, you're here to like create your own synthesized thing, which I'm very excited to talk about. I want to hear a little bit more about your experience working and like what led you to the Alfred Kinsey Institute and the Leather Archives, as well as Tama Finland. Like what drew you to those spaces? I, the reason I asked this question is I'm like, you're, I mean, you're perceived as a woman as you walk around and like, especially the Tama Finland house, although less so now is a very male dominated space. Lots of love for them. The boys love me. I love the boys. But it's a very male dominant space. The leather archives, I think, is still predominantly male in a lot of ways, although I could be wrong about that. You can tell me more. And then the Alfred Kinsey Institute, like all of these spaces, like what was your experience in them? What drew you to them? And, and were there any nuggets that you took from those spaces? Yeah, you're right. And um, when I came to the Tom of Finland house, it was probably, it was about 2000, I want to say 2007-ish. Um, and it was very like, old school, traditional, like coated leather man 
space. Um, Can we say uh, really quickly for the audience, will you give me a one sentence on what the Tom of Finland house is? I'm realizing that you and I know, but. Yeah, yeah. it is. So it's a, it's a um, archive in Los Angeles and their mission statement is to preserve and protect uh, and promote all erotic art. It started out as an archive for the artist, Tom of Finland, um, who, Oh, if I start talking about him, I'll go on a tangent. So just look him up. And um, but Leatherman culture was is basically rooted in his incredible art. Um, but they founded it at a time when the um, um, I think it was about eighty one, and uh, the AIDS epidemic uh, hit, and a lot of artists were disappearing, um, and a lot of them had art that was literally hidden under their bed or in the closet. And their families were finding it, throwing it away, or their 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 book collections, their libraries. So the missions quickly shift to not just be about Tom, but to be about preserving everything. So we take everything. So sometimes people leave like little like envelopes on the front door with like dirty drawings, and it's anonymous, and we we archive it all. So um, and that's interesting. Like I remember when I first, so I came to them because I had. Uh, uh, ex-boyfriend, Steve Diagetti, who's also one of my favorite fetish photographers. I had been a fetish and bondage model when I was dating him. And then while I was at CalArts, he watched me to go to CalArts and then he watched me go to library school. I was living at an Echo Park and he's like, there's a library. I was just starting library school and it was like, all I talked about was libraries. And he's like, there's a library around the corner from you at the Tama Finland house and it's incredible and you should go see it and it embodies like so many things that you're passionate about. So I went there and got a tour, fell in love with Dirk and all the guys and became like a volunteer librarian because they couldn't fund to have a librarian. And I was starting out in library school, which was online at the time. And I wanted to get my hands on real, a real collection. So that's how I started there. But the reason, you know, I remember having a dinner early on with we have a lot of like family dinners there um and jerk was asking me like he was like why are you here he's like because you're kind of more you know you're usually with a dude like you're not even you're not like a real dyke dyke (laughs) like you know he's he's like you're kind of like he's like okay like you're kind of like we didn't even, he didn't even know the queer, the word queer yet then, but like, but he's like, why is this? Like, I was giving so much to that space, like my heart and soul. And he just was like, why? And I hadn't thought about it. And then I realized, I remembered, so I grew up riding horses and my parents went, I, my horse trainer was my idol and he was a gay man. Um, and I spent all day and night at the barn and my parents went through a really horrible divorce we're filing bankruptcy. We lost our house and he kind of ended up fostering me. Mm. And so he, I would, this is like, that started when I was probably 11 to, I don't know how long. And I, I would stay like my parents were kind of MIA and I would stay at his house a lot, especially in the summers. And he, or he would come and stay at my house and take care of me. And there was um, a period where I was living at his house and I was sleeping on the sofa and he had also taken in a man who was dying of AIDS. Mm. And that man was, he, his name was Michael and he slept on the lazy boy next to me. And we 
laid around together and my world was falling apart. His world was falling apart. Wow. And we really, really connected. And I also saw this horse trainer of mine as somebody who was like, he say, he was saving my life. And I saw how he took this man in and took care of him. And it was just, it was a really dark, hard time, but that was like all I had. And, um, yeah. And so that, I guess that's a pretty profound experience for an 11 year old to be sleeping next to and spending the day next to a man and dying of AIDS who can barely get up. Um, so I, I feel like, I don't know that affected me in some way. I've, I've always loved men. Like I'm very femme, but I actually just like, I love hanging out with dudes. Like that's my favorite straight, cis, trans, gay. I love being around men. So like, that's also part of it. Um, and I don't know if that has to do with it that. Makes a little, that makes sense to me though. Like, I don't want to inject Freud here too much. Like we can uh-huh. leave him out, but you mean it makes sense in terms of like imprinting yourself onto two figures, but especially this horse riding mentor yeah. and being like, you are safe. And you have proven to be safe. And then I I love thinking, because I know all the Tom boys. I know all the men at Tom House. And I'm like, they're all so maternal. They're all so like, are you okay, honey? Like, it's like the, they're so masculine looking, quote unquote, optically. And then you get to know each and every one of them. And you're like, they're the biggest sweethearts. They're so maternal. They are. And I also, I think while I was at CalArts, I made a, the decision to just completely stop talking to my father, which was the like the best decision I ever made. And, um, I, and then I met Dirk a couple years later and he just stepped in as daddy and he, just like my horse trainer, he did, he was there and has done more for me in my life than any parent. Like, I mean, he's pulled me out of the, some really dark trenches and I always, I have a key to that house. I can always sleep in that house, can always pop in for dinner. Like it's my home. So then, you know, that led to, so that's, that's the Tom. Um, and then I was, when I was volunteering there, I got, I started getting attention from the Art Library Society of North America because I put a shout out on there to see if anyone wanted to help me with the collection because I was a baby library student and I, it was overwhelmed. And then they invited me to, they happened to be having their conference in Indiana that year. And the theme, um, they invited me to speak on a panel. It was called Hot and Bothered Library, Hot and Bothered Erotica in the Museum and Library Context. And sexy they, librarians. Oh, exactly. Oh, I girl. dressed up. I had, yeah, I did the whole thing. And, um, and they gave me, they invited me on a panel and I was like, I'm not even a librarian yet. I'm in my first semester of school, but they were like, no, it's great what you're doing. So I ended up on a panel with Rick Storr from the leather archives. And then, um, I don't think he's there anymore. And then, um, the librarian Liana from the Kinsey Institute, which was like my dream come true. So I was on that panel. I ended up just getting a lot of funding and support from Arliss and also Special Libraries Association by um, applying for grants and arguing that this these kind of collections are not valued enough and they need more they need more awareness and preservation and funding. Yes. And um, so that was my way into. And then um, one of the scholarships or the grants they gave me was to work at the. I could spend time doing a project at the archive of my choice. And so I chose the Leather Archives and Museum in and Chicago. was in Chicago for a mm. while. Oh, so much fun. Hi, kitty. <laughs> oh, there's a cat. Hello. Yes. That's amazing. My friend um, uh, Vicente Ugarchea works 
I don't know if he's still at the Leather Archives post 2020, but he was at the, at the Leather Archives working there, probably in a very similar capacity to you all the way up until um, 2020. And he spoke very highly of it. He was like, it's an amazing space. And just like the Tom House, you're absolutely correct. Like these spaces need to be preserved because queer erasure is so deep and so big. It's yeah. such a big reality. Will you explain a little bit just um, for the entire audience what the Kinsey scale is and why Alfred Kinsey, without going on a huge wormhole, just like easy, what is the Kinsey scale? What's the Kinsey Institute? Well, I have to talk about Gall Wasps first because I just love his relationship with the gall wasp. So he was, he was obsessed with gall wasps and bug part. Uh, bre- uh, so gall wasps are a type of wasp, right? I'm looking yes. them up. Oh yeah, totally. Okay. And Called so, gall flies. Okay, cool. And he figured out, he was, he was looking at them and he realized that no two gall wasps were the same. And so he got obsessed with this, with finding two, I don't know if he's trying to find two that were the same or just see as many as he could in his life, he he examined over five million gall wasps. Five million <laughs> yes. gall wasps. I'm looking at these things and I'm like, that's a long time to be spending with bugs. Okay. No, <laughs> I love it. So nerdy. I love it. Yes. And then um, so that kind of sparked this idea for him that human sexuality was at like diverse. So he was also, you know, he, an expert in human sexuality and he kind of merged these two passions to come up with this concept. And then it was the Kinsey scale, which is like how, how straight or how hetero or in the between or um, gay are you? It's like, I can't remember. I haven't looked at it in a while, but I can't remember the numbers, how they go. I'm looking them. I'm looking it up right now. For It us. is binary. So there's that, but for its time, it was very progressive and exciting. It seems like it's one to I think it's six. One, six. It's one to six. Heterosexual, yeah. homosexual is written on both sides. So there's one yes. side that says heterosexual, the other side says homosexual, and there are six like blocks rating yes. scale. Zero is exclusively heterosexual with no homosexual tendencies. Six is exclusively homosexual with no heterosexual tendencies. They had t-shirts there. So I brought Dirk back one. I think I brought him back as like the six is homosexual. I think I brought him back like a, a four or five because he did he did have a child with a bodybuilder, but his the, the mom is a bodybuilder and looks like a muscle, <laughs> a muscle guy. But anyways, yeah. So at the Kinsey Institute, I worked with Katherine Johnson Rohr, who was the um, head curator there at the time. And I just, I helped install exhibitions and I helped just, I did just like basic archival stuff. And then my main project was uh, defrosting and digitizing the George Platt lines collection. He was a photographer. I want to say 30s and it's a little bit yeah I was gonna guess Maplethorpe and I was right so it's a little bit Maplethorpe but it's pre-Maplethorpe is what you're saying because yeah. it's he was before Robert Maplethorpe yeah he worked in the 30s and 40s 30s and 40s yeah and then I had when I would finish my like little assignments from her I had a couple of stories from there like one of the one of the my favorite thing to do so Kinsey was a terrible archivist and he had he had an incredible librarian who was a lesbian who was kind of doing her own bibliography research for lesbian culture. So she took the job to sort of have access to his collection and they just like fought and fought and fought because he refused to follow the library of Congress or the Dewey decimal system. And he made up his own archiving thing. And um, chaos, chaos queen, chaos queen. Yeah, Like mnemonic, like, like 
uh, yeah, just letter based, like basic stuff. And then he also, uh, the librarian there when I was visiting, he, he, he like took periodicals and had them bound together. So not knowing, not think, of course, not knowing about digit, that's just a bad idea, but now we can't digitize. We can't scan them because they're, if you open them, they crack. So, wow. um, yeah, like the letter, like the, the paper actually is falling apart is what you're saying. Yeah. And then it's, it's all much to get, it's like made into a book with a, you know, a seal on the back. So it's they're in these big fat books and then you open them and they wear out and we, we, we can't get them flat to scan them. Right. Okay. Digitize them. Okay. So, um, but then he had, there was this room of all photography and that a uh, system came in a little handy for me because when I would finish my work, Catherine would always give me the key to the photo room. Cause she knew I loved to perv out in there. And so I love that you're like, I'm gonna go look at some sexy men. Yeah. <laughs> and they had, and so it was all, all his photo boxes were just marked by like fetish. It would just be like hair or shoes. And then it would be like, it would just be stacks of like, but I mean like vintage, like, like where did this stuff come from? Like really, really old, early photography. And it'd be like girls with just like long, long hair. And you're like, Wow, I would just wonder about the stories of like who, how did this picture get made? Like how scandalous was it? Like how did this person with a hair fetish find this girl and get her to do this? Or like where did they, where did they get those crazy fetish shoes back then? Like just mm. so I would just like sit and like just go through all the photographs until she had another assignment for me. And the other thing that happened there that was interesting, I used to lean against, there was a door I would always lean against and it was across, it was right across from the door to her office. And sometimes she'd be on a call and I would just stand and kind of lean on this door and wait. And then she'd be like, I'd be like, oh, I finished this, whatever. And then we'd chat and come up with the next plan. And one day they were giving a tour to um, a student tour and, uh, or potential students, because it's part of Indiana University. and they opened that door and there were these two tables with computers and, and then like little, you know, like the medical paper down on the chairs. And then one had like a ring and one had like a little um, tampon type shaped plastic object. And then they both had computer screens in front of them. And I'm like, what is this? Like, yeah. I never knew I've been leaning on this door for like months and like, what, what is this room? And she said, it's, it's like an old school, like for testing your arousal level and they show stuff on. So you either put the ring around your penis or you put the little tampon thing in your vagina and, and they run stuff on the screen and they measure arousal, arousal level, which seemed, it looked pretty like <laughs> old school to me, but, um, you know, it, it was old. I think it'd been there a really long time, but they were still, they were still doing it. And so I was like, and I was like, well, who, who comes in for the, and she's like, well, students, I can't remember what she's like. Undergrads can get credit for, I think it was like social studies or something. Like if you were just a general student at Indiana university, you could get course credit for coming in there and looking at erotica at like, like, and sitting in that, I was like, are you kidding? And I'm like, this is happening while I'm like leaning against the door. There's like people in there doing that sometimes. Like, and it just blew me away. I thought it was cool. amazing. <laughs> I was like, this That's is like amazing. my favorite thing I've seen in this whole place. 
So that's uh, I love that. And then also it is very old school because I'm like people experience arousal in like all different parts of their body. And I'm like, yeah. for them to just be like, oh, it's just the genitals. I'm like, you're leaving out a ton of people's experiences. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that's amazing. Yeah. 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 Wow. Oh my gosh. I love that. So you've, you really, that's like the more, we started in some ways with the brain. Like that was such an academic, like I think of librarians as like nerds. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you're like, and I love the nerding part of it. And yeah. so that was a whole journey, right? That those things, and those things sounded like they all kind of happened back to back. Was that sort of like a boom, boom, boom? You were in a phase of, of this work, erotica? Yeah, I was just like really into archives and librarianship. I, I, I was very, um, my favorite classes in school were oral history and um, grant writing. Mm. Um, so those, those are serving me now. Um, and, uh, I was, I was just in deep with like all, I was on like every board, every like organization. I was like on the board for listen, which is library science students to it's library information, science students to encourage networking. And I would organize tours of archive. Like, I mean, I was on the I, I, LGBT librarian, all that stuff. I was like in all the little groups and just like nerd heaven for a while. And then I moved to Helsinki. Wow. So. Okay. Let's talk about Helsinki. You moved to Helsinki. I love this. You're like, and then I just moved to Helsinki. <laughs> yeah. The, the Tama Finland Foundation was a little resistant to like social media and stuff at that time. So I was really pushing them to get active in those spaces and engage with more youth. And so I had set him up a Facebook page and uh, posted pictures on there. This guy saw me on the Facebook page and he starts, you know, coming on to me, messaging me, but he clearly knew Dirk and Sharp, who's the uh, Dirk's partner and the vice president. Um, And I was like, wait a minute. And he was really good looking. So I was like, I'm calling Dirk from Indiana. I'm like, who is this Vicky, Wiki Wickman, but it's pronounced with a V. And he was like, oh, wow. So he was Tom's caretaker in the last years of his life, um, which is a whole big story. But he was, Tom was dying of emphysema. He needed to be and stay in Finland where he had better health care and just could be home. And Dirk couldn't be two places at one time. So he, he, my, my, this is my ex-husband now, uh, Vicky. So he was working he was a total like wild rock and roll punk rock, like body piercing, like, you know, cool guy. And he was working at a gay bar. He was like a straight dude working at a gay bar because he because it was fun. And this was the 90s. Oh, that was and, the 90s. Oh. Yeah, late 90s. And mm. so Dirk was like, you're great looking. Tom would love you. Would you mind bringing him a cup of coffee, getting him groceries once a week? And Vicky went over there one time. They became like instantly super close. He was there almost every single day for the last two years of Tom's life. So I heard this story. And then um, the other aspect of this is that Vicky had advanced multiple sclerosis. So he was sick. And um, I really like fell for him hard and fast. And I also like was kind of, I've traveled a lot. I've been able to travel a lot. I'm not afraid. I've lived in Berlin at this point, done a lot of world travel. So it wasn't that crazy for me to move to Finland. And I knew he needed help. And I was like crazy about him. So I was like, meet me at the Tama Finland house in LA. I'm going to leave Indiana. I'll meet you. I'm going to leave the Kinsey. I'm going to meet you at Dirk's for two weeks. And we stayed at the Tom's house. 
Dirk, the first night he put us up at the Bonaventure, he was like, you can't be in this house. You have to bond outside. There's too much magic in this house. You need to be in a more neutral space. Talk about a total like witch doctor house. The Tama Finland house is <laughs> super charged with energy. If any of you are ever in Los Angeles in Echo Park, go visit the Tama Finland house. So yeah. intense. Anyway, continue. So <laughs> and so, so then, and so I, he took me to Hel- I went back to Helsinki with him. Um, and then I did, I, I founded there, there, I was actually really shocked at how little Tom was being celebrated or recognized there, um, after being so immersed in Tom for years. So I, um, started the Tama Finland Seora, which means society, um, in Finnish. And so I established that, which was very similar to building a nonprofit and I had a board and everything. And we started organizing events and yeah. And then, um, my husband, without really telling me, set me up to work as a dominatrix in the largest uh, BDSM castle in Scandinavia, which was this giant marble castle in the woods outside of Helsinki. I had to like take a train, get off the tra- like walk through the woods past all the big red and white, those Armenian, those mushrooms. And yes. like, I would see them in the forest and then I would walk up to this big marble castle in the middle it was in the middle of nowhere so people's cars wouldn't be recognized Wow! and I got trained by like one of the top dominatrix there dominatrixes there and she uh um didn't speak English so it, it was it was just very it was I'm not a dom by nature I'm way more subby um so it was I was kind of like a fake dom and it was just like we laughed a lot. Like, and so she, she trained me through translation. And then I became good friends with another Dom there who really helped me out a lot, um, who I might be interviewing um, later. And uh, she also, she taught me how to fist a guy. So I was learning to fist and she's speaking Finnish and then another girl's translating while I'm doing it. This is a movie, by the way, (laughs) like I'm living for these scenes in my head. And that prepared me for pelvic health because I, we, then we had, I did a um, pelvic health certification um, where for rectal treatments recently. And I went in and I was just like, you had to, everybody, we practice on each other and had to stick each other's fingers in each other's butts. And uh, it was no big deal for me. You were like, I'm well-versed baby. Two fingers is (laughs) nothing. Exactly. I was like, not worried about that. And, um, what else? Yeah. And I just like, it was like a really big dark castle and I was always wearing latex and high heels and I, I, I fell down a lot and I had a lot of instances of like, just telling people to do things and they don't speak English and then they do something totally different than what I ordered them to do. And I just have to like wing it and be like, yeah, that that's exactly what I meant now. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, nah, yeah, nah. This is really, I love the fact that you were like a, you were a dom by translation a dom lost in translation yes so good so good yeah and I really I really what I've always loved is fetish so I would I really did well with I, I started to build a clientele and it was more just like I love like I am like a voyeur and I love just like, I just love watching people go into deep spaces. And mm, so subspace. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And deep like psychic people, spaces. Yes. Yeah. It's fascinating. So I loved, and then also 
accommodating a fetish to me feels very subby. So even if I'm kind of a dom, so, and people would just have like very specific, like sometimes entire scripts about exactly what you have to wear and say and do. And just, I loved like fulfilling that for people. And um, yeah, so it's more of a fetish dom. A thought that I've had about dom and sub relationships, and you know, I'm not a professional dominatrix, I'll just say that, but I always feel like the sub is ultimately in control. And so that might be where you're coming from where you're like, yeah, I'm the dom, but like, I'm just fulfilling their needs. <laughs> yes, that's totally how I saw it. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Well, I love that. It's a good segue from you fisting like hot. I'm imagining hot Scandinavian men, but I know that they're probably um, <clears throat> I'm sure it was a variety of Scandinavian men and women. Um, you went from that to doing some like oral explorations with your pelvic health work. Can you talk more about now this phase in your journey where you went from like nerdy librarian of erotic erotica in general to this like body love of the body work? Like, let's talk about the pelvic health work and like what excited you, what excites you about this work, what excites you about gender affirming care in that realm. And, and, you know, maybe telling folks at the beginning, like, what is pelvic health just like in a nutshell? Okay. So everybody has a pelvic floor. And um, one thing that um, bothers me, again, loving men and all genders is that it's, it's often sort of talked about as a women's issue. And even marketed, you know, a lot of pelvic health specialists or um, coach coaches or PTs kind of market themselves towards women. And so right away, I want to be able to give much more inclusive care. Um, and so everybody has a pelvic floor and it can become dysfunctional. It has it has muscles. It's shaped like a bowl. It works in um, sync with your diaphragm. So your 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 breathing and your diaphragm can affect the um, balance of your pelvic floor. Um, you can, um, a lot of people think immediately of kegels, which is not necessarily what people, well, first of all, most people do kegels wrong or not for long enough. And so they give up too fast. So, um, and then also sometimes pelvic floor, a lot of times pelvic floor dysfunction is hypertonicity or hypertension. And this can happen a lot with people who've had trauma, people who are stressed or maybe, you know, we hold, we clinch down there when we're stressed. So I see that a lot in people who are, um, uh, psychotherapists or counselors, wow. lawyers, people holding who are a bunch of trauma, holding a bunch of trauma. Yep. And then they, so that can create pelvic pain. Um, there can be, um, dyspareunia, which is pain with sex. Um, and sometimes it's not from trauma. Sometimes it's, it can have, it can be so many different things. It's very complicated. And you can have also pelvic floor imbalances. So there's things you can do. Um, if I were doing internal work on somebody, I could, they might be more tight in the anterior pelvic floor and then loose and weak in the back. So, um, it's not a muscle that's easy to exercise. So doing that internal manual work can help you to build up balance and also to stretch. So, mm. and it might be stretching on one side and building strength on the other side. And there, there are tools and wands for this. It's best done manually though. And then there's, uh, and then of course there's the rectal side, which right. is, so that needs to be considered. And then there's, um, uh, also like, so, 
Um, there's also a pudendal nerve, which is something I, I'm hoping to have time to more, learn more about, but that inner innervates a lot of the pelvic floor muscles. And so there can be, that can be there. If you're having, um, uh, nerve dysfunction that can affect mm. your continence. So it might not just be weakness because you need to do kegels. It might be something else. Mm. Uh, but then also like incontinence is, um, very, very common. It is not talked about enough. It is not normal. People are always coming in saying like, well, my doctor said I had a baby. And so that's just that, 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 that we have to get rid of that mindset of like, mm. um, I'm old. So I just pee my pants now, or every time I sneeze, I pee, that's just part of getting old. Or I had a baby. That's what happens. It's my fault. Like yeah. there's a lot that can be done for incontinence. And there's two types of incontinence. There's urge incontinence, which is, um, when we call it key and door syndrome, like, you know, when you have to pee and then as soon as, soon as you put your house key in the door, you're like, now it's, it's coming, it's coming now. You can train your bot. You can train your mind to work past that. And mm. that, that's a mind over matter issue. Um, a lot of people train themselves to be urge incontinent and they don't mm. n- realize they're doing it. Mm. Um, and then there's incontinence because of uh, um, strength issues. And that's when you do do kegels, but there's a lot of ways there's dynamic kegels, there's fast twitch and slow twitch muscles that you can exercise. Um, yeah, there's just, it's like a whole world and I just am like so deep into it and just lots and lots to learn. And another thing I want to say about that is that, um, it is not, I, so I'm a physical therapist assistant. Physical therapists have a doctorate. Mm. Um, I went into, I was, so the, the pelvic health Institute I work with or trained with the most is Herman and Wallace pelvic health Institute, but also American physical therapy association. Um, and I, it was very intimidating for me to go into those classes because I've always been the only physical, the only PTA. And I just assumed everybody knew that they learned something about it in school. Because we we had like maybe half a day where we talked about it and a couple mm-hmm. test questions. Um, and they, uh, they're like, no, we didn't, we, we did, we did like maybe two days on it. That's it. So most physical therapists don't even know the pelvic floor muscles or like anything about it, which is just bananas to me that we just like, we're just going to skip this whole part of the body, even though the body is like this kinetic chain, we're just going to ignore that because it makes us uncomfortable and ew, I don't want to do that. So, um, or I don't want to talk about that. It's because so, the genitalia is right there and it, you have but, to access it through those spaces. Oh my gosh. It's so real. Ooh, yeah. So I, I, it's a really big problem that not enough people are learning about it and, and how to integrate it into, um, health and wellness. So, and, and a follow-up question, cause I, I know a little bit, but I don't really want to speak to it myself. I know that there obviously like it would be associated with the root chakra right? The pelvic floor. What are the spiritual realities of having like a healthy pelvic floor? I mean, I, that's really where I'm at is wanting to get deeper into that stuff. Like it, cause it is, it's the root chakra. It's red. It's like, it makes me think of the Lotus flower and everything blossoming out of it. Um, and so, I mean, I just like, I'm not sure how to speak about it spiritually yet. I'm still kind of figuring that out for myself. I just, it does feel like the root chakra to me. I've always, I've personally always been a 
very hypersexual person and had a really strong relationship with that area of my body and kind of wondered why. And I also think this might be a part of that. Like I was meant to like, yeah, I want everyone to have orgasms. And I think that, uh, you know, if you if you have, that's another thing. Um, like if your pelvic floor is weak, you may not have good orgasms. So, mm. or strong or be able to orgasm. Mm, um, a lot of so, sense. That yeah, was sort which, of my question around masturbation was like, you know, again, that's such a loaded thing in our culture. Cause we're in this like hypersexualized puritanical, uh, overlord culture that is just, you know, really, um, discombobulated. But my, my question around masturbation in terms of the pelvic floor is like, I wonder if there is a correlation between having a healthy masturbation practice and having a strong pelvic floor or that maybe those things aren't the same, but they, it seems to me that they would be in dialogue with each other. Yeah, they are. They are. Cause you have, um, uh, orgasm is a contraction for okay. male and female. Okay. So if you can't have a strong contraction, so I'm actually working with a male right now who's frustrated because his orgasms have gotten weak. Mm, so we're okay. working on, but the thing about muscles, one of my favorite teachers, Dr. Allison, um, used to say a strong muscle is a long muscle, strong mm. muscle is a long muscle. So you have to learn to breathe and let your pelvic floor stretch and lengthen and fully contract. Just like when you think of a bicep curl, you don't do it just up here. It has to go all the way. Yes. So, and that's what you want for a healthy orgasm. And then, I mean, spiritually, I've personally been really interested in sex magic lately. And um, I listened to um, this witch, Gabriella, I cannot remember her last name. She's really brilliant. And she was talking about, she was on a podcast and the uh, interviewer was asking her about like, like, what kind of porn do you look at when you master? And she's like, why would I waste my energy on porn? She's like, I think about what I want and who I want to be, like what I want to manifest. Like, that's what I use my orgasms for. And I was like, wow. And I've been doing that and really, and really I, it's powerful. been trippy because what I want to manifest is pelvic, like to promote and increase pelvic health for other people. And then I'm thinking about that while I'm at orgasming and I'm like seeing the Lotus open and imagining like all these like happy vaginas and penises, like and everybody coming because I've like opened my heart and like, let this all flow into me. And I'm just like, Whoa. <laughs> oh my God. You're an orgasm doula. You're like, okay. Ha-, like I just see this field of like happy jumping vaginas and penises. Like we're happy. We're happy. This is so good. Oh, it's so juicy. I love that you're like, it's full circle for you. You're literally using your pelvic floor and manifesting psychically and spiritually about pelvic health for everybody. <laughs> it's amazing. And the other note thing that the other thing that came out um, recently for me was I was, I've always wanted to be located near the Tama Finland house. Like, I'm like, I don't want to live with all those dudes. It's a little too much for me. And I'm a little too much for them. You know, it's always like I get too much glitter and stuff around the house. I, and, um, but I'm like, I love to just drop in on them and like eat or sit on the porch or bring them pastries. And I was, I've always fantasized about being near them. And then the, the other day I was like, what if I had like a brick and mortar space near the Tom house, but I had like vagina and like, I mean, again, I, it's not all about vaginas, but I had some vagina art and like my own like stuff going on. And then we were like 
you know, adjacent to each other somehow, like around the corner or down the street. And you could do, you could come to my space and their space on the same day. I would love that. That's a perfect (laughs) day. I'm like, I got to get my pelvic floor health checked out. And then I'm going to go hang out with all the butch boys up at the townhouse. Yes. Yes. Oh, I love that. So in, in line with that brick and mortar idea and all the other things. Tell us a little bit about the fundraiser you're working for right now. You're working on, you're fundraising for a podcast, correct? And it is, this is tied in with pelvic health, correct? Yes. And really I'm, I'm letting that be, I want that to be more, um, more open than just pelvic health, but mm. it, it's just general, it's LGBTQAI plus health. It is, it's, it started with the pelvic health concept, but, um, also BIPOC and neurodivergent folks, but it is heavily rooted, like, just cause that's who I'm around. There's a, I have a lot of sex experts that are coming on doctors of pelvic health. I have an amazing, uh, urologist who specializes in gay men's health. Who's he's, going to let me interview him and then dominatrixes and, but, um, it's really, uh, and I'm, I'm keeping the term health very like holistic. So even, you know, talking about our histories and traumas from our histories, I think is therapeutic, uh, um, art. So, uh, I just had, it's like the list is growing so fast of the amount of yet, like it's that I'm just like, I have, I have to get this going. I have to start interviewing. I had a another belly dancing librarian, another belly dancing librarian friend of mine just told me that she recently realized she's ace. So she's asexual, Mm. which is a population we do not talk about enough. And she's, she's just like, yeah, I wish there was more information out there. And it didn't take me so long to figure this out. I'd love for you to interview me about this. Um, another friend of mine, um, offered she's going she's a large gorgeous black woman belly dancer tarot reading social worker witch who's going to talk about her experience with fat shaming and being a woman Mm. of color in the belly dance world and in the spiritual world so I mean it's just it's it's very exciting so it's a podcast I'm kind of again read like I feel so happy to have taken those oral history courses in library school um, cause so now I get to use, it's going to obviously not be in a strict oral history format cause that would be very dull. Um, but, uh, yeah, just interviewing people. I'm going to keep it from a very like average folk, you know, I'm not, it's, it's, I want healthcare workers to listen to it and be informed, but it's coming from a space of just like kind of Hauser type naivete of just like, you know, even if it's something I do know about, I'm going to ask the questions from different folks and get different opinions and different, and it's very interactive. Like I, I want to give the audience a lot of, uh, I want to give the audience a lot of opportunities to submit their own questions, to request their own guests, to request their own topics. Cause we also all have so many, we all have blind spots, right? So mm-hmm. I hadn't even thought of, um, doing fat shaming, um, until a, a, a friend brought it up and I was like, oh, I didn't even think of that. Pop- I forgot about that. Yeah, let's talk about it. So um, 
Yeah. And it's going to be really fun because I know a lot of really fun people. So <laughs> from your like myriad of adventures around the world, you're yeah. like, here are all the amazing people I've met in my many lives. Yes. I love that. So the podcast is called Healthy Query. Is that correct? Or Health um, Query? Health Query. So yeah, I've got to get better at plugging myself. It's called Health Query. Great. And I'm raising funds just to, um, so that I can give like a hundred percent of my time to this, uh, like podcasts, as you know, are a lot more work than people realize I've yes. done. I'm a librarian. So I've done my research on how much work that actually is. And I feel very prepared and have organized my budget and just really thinking real. I want, I want this to last. Mm. So, um, the average podcast doesn't go past nine episodes. I recently learned. So I wow. want this. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm asking for money so that I don't burn out. And so I can have good equipment. And so, yeah, there, there's a whole, there's sort of a list of um, where the money would go. And then, you know, I also have a team that's helping me with editing and other things. So Amazing. Um, I will link the speed, the seed, I will link the seed and spark link in the yes, show notes. And it's on, if you go to seedandspark.com and then you type in health query with two E's like queer and then Y. So health, Q-U-E-E-R-Y. You'll find it on seedandspark.com. I love a good pun. Mm. (laughs) Yes, me too. (laughs) Our our nerdy selves. I actually got (laughs) fired. um, I got fired when I worked at the school newspaper in my undergrad because I all of my titles all of my articles were puns <laughs> they were like you're too creative for this role oh my and I was God, like I'm gonna but it was no it was like one of those things where rejection is protection truly because I'm like I'm actually too weird to write for a newspaper and be a reporter yeah exactly I totally relate to that yeah. yeah yeah okay any so I'm going to link that in the show notes. I'm super excited. Please, please, audience, help Al figure this out. Get the money to go and make this podcast because we need, we definitely need more content from queer folks, from LGBTQIA, BIPOC, neurodivergent folks around health and around the physical body. Like this is part of the massive healing work that we're doing, especially in 2022, but going onward. Exactly. Exactly. It's all healing work. Yes. Is there anything else that you would like the folks to know about what you're working on right now, et cetera? Um, yeah. If you're listening to this in the future, ooh, if you're listening to this in the future, such as like 2023, um, I should have a nonprofit established. So, and that's, that is really pelvic health Bringing pelvic health to the above mentioned populations, um, increasing education, creating some scholarships for healthcare workers to encourage them to take gender affirming care courses, creating programming support groups. I have an amazing board, but I'm focusing on the podcast first because uh, yes. that will support and be the catalyst for the nonprofit. And then the two will work well together. But that is going to be pelvicsanctuary.com. So. Mm. When you reached out to me about it a while ago and was just like, I, you know, I'm really invested in working with trans men and pelvic health. I mean, I was shook, like with a lot of love for you, because I was like, we need folks. I mean, that's just such ally. It's deep ally work where you're like, your body is important. I know that your body gets overlooked in a lot of spaces and your body is important. And I'm going to try to provide a safe container for it to heal and just be strengthened. So thank you, Al. Like, it's huge. 
Yes, I'm, I'm, if you are transgender or a pregnant male or, you know, you're somebody who really doesn't feel safe or uh, like you know where to go for pelvic health services, you can reach out to me and I'll try to set you up. There are people, it's a small community, but there are people that are, there are people in the PT world that are super passionate and it's like, it's like, it's just starting, but the American Physical Therapy Association has a class for PTs and gender affirming care. Um, the conversations are happening and the people like me who are interested in it are just like dying to help. And so you can reach out and I, I, I will find, some, do my best to find someone for you to work with, if not work with you myself. Amazing. So. I will link all of your contact info in the show notes as well. So folks, please just check those if you want to hear more from Al or connect with her around that. Definitely. All right. Well, thank you so much for spending time with me here on the world of Rex. Al, so good. I'm very excited. I'm actually going to get off and donate to your campaign when we're done here. And yes. And I'm just happy, happy to, I like, I love learning more about you. This is like, has been such a treat. Thank you. Thank you. I'm just honored. I'm like loving your podcast. So it's, I just feel so honored to be a guest. I'm like eating up every, I'm going back. That's why I said, if you're listening to this in the future, because I am going back and listening to all your episodes and just eating it up. I joined a gym last week because of your podcast. Amazing. Going to spin class. So anyways, thank you. It's, it's great. It's been great. And I can't wait to talk to you again. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you everybody for listening to the World of Rex. Thank you, Al, for being here. Lots of love. And we will catch you next week. Until then, take care. <laughs>